Greetings to those who watch below. In today's video, we explore some strange and frankly terrifying creatures from folklore around the world. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts like this at the start of every video. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Finn McCool. Also, if you haven't already, please make sure to like the video and also subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so you don't miss out on any videos. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Gwyber The Gwyber is a species of reptile from Wales that is described as a snake, usually a viper or adder, with small wings located behind the head and a fiery bite. Now, this doesn't sound too strange. However, local folklore states that any snake can become a guiber simply by drinking a woman's milk. How they manage to do this is anyone's guess, though if some were to be spilt on the floor and a snake were to chance upon it, hey presto, we have ourselves a monster. Folklore also states that if a guiber were to live long enough, it could eventually become a dragon and cause further mischief across the valleys. The legend probably came about due to adders or vipers lunging for people with such speed as they could seem to be flying, and the venom from their bite causing the victim to feel as if they had been burned. One famous creature is the Gwyber of Penmachno, and here is its tail. The Gwyber that resided in the valley of Wibernant near Penmachno was a very dangerous creature and was unique amongst its kind. It was the only one in Wales that could live on land and under the water. It preyed on the fish in the river, local livestock, and anyone foolish enough to get in its way. In despair, the local residents decided to offer a large reward to anyone who could kill the beast, and a young man named Owen Ap Grufford, who lived in the nearby mountains, took up the challenge. Before heading off to do battle with the monster, however, Owen decided to consult a local wise man by the name of Rhys Derwin to find out his chances of success. Rhys told him bluntly that the creature would bite him. Needless to say, Owen was shocked at the prediction and went home that night very depressed and worried. The next day, Owen decided to visit the wise man again, only this time he was disguised as a vagrant. He again told Rhys that he was about to do battle with the Gwyber. This time, Rhys told him bluntly that he would not succeed, and added that he would fall and suffer a broken neck for his trouble. Again, Owen went back home shocked, and a little more than puzzled. The next day, Owen paid his third and final visit to Rhys, this time disguised as a miller. He told Rhys that he was about to do battle with the Gwyber. Again, Rhys told him bluntly that he would not succeed, and that he would die by drowning. Upon hearing this prediction, Owen pulled off his disguise and angrily challenged Rhys to explain how he could give him three different predictions about his forthcoming fight with the Gwyber. Rhys smiled sadly and simply said, We will see. Time will tell. Owen was a fearless young man, and, putting the three predictions out of his mind, set off down into the valley to kill the Gwyber. The valley was steep, however, and whilst he was on a rocky ledge high above the valley floor, the Gwyber suddenly swooped out of the sky and bit him about his neck and shoulders. Owen bravely lashed out with his sword, 
but slipped and fell from the ledge. As he fell, he smashed into another rocky outcrop that snapped his neck like a twig before plunging into the river far below, where he eventually drowned. When his lifeless body was discovered shortly after, his friends swore vengeance and set up the valley to kill the Gwyber. After an hour's trek, they discovered the Gwyber asleep on the riverbank and let loose a hail of arrows that severely wounded the creature. With a blood-curdling scream, the Gwyber plunged into the river and was never seen again. To this day, however, the place where this flying dragon lived is called Wibernant, or the Valley of the Gwyber. The Rokuro Kubi The Rokuro Kubi are part of a set of widely different spirits in Japanese folklore known as yokai. By day, Rokuro Kubi appear to be ordinary women. By night, however, their bodies sleep while their necks stretch to incredible lengths and roam around freely. Sometimes their heads attack small animals, sometimes they look up lamp oil with their long tongues, and sometimes they just cause mischief by scaring nearby people. Rokuro Kubi and their close relatives, Nukekubi, are former humans, transformed by a curse resulting from some evil or misdeed. Perhaps they sinned against the gods or nature, or perhaps they are unfaithful to their husbands. In many cases, their husbands or fathers actually committed the sin. By some cruel twist of fate, the men escape punishment, and the women receive the curse instead. In any case, the Rokuro Kubi curse only affects women. An old tale from Totomi province tells of a monk who eloped with a young woman named Oyotsu. While travelling, Oyotsu became sick. Treating her would have used up all their travel money, so the monk murdered Oyotsu and stole the remaining money. On his travels he stayed at an inn, owned by a man with a beautiful daughter. The wicked monk shared a bed with the innkeeper's daughter, and during the night her neck stretched and her face changed into that of Oyotsu. She angrily accused him of murdering her. The next morning, the monk, regretting his evil deeds, confessed the murder of Ayotsu to the innkeeper. The monk also told the innkeeper what he had seen the night before. The innkeeper confessed that he, too, had murdered his wife for her money. He used the money to build his inn, and as a punishment, his own daughter was transformed into a Rokurokubi. Afterwards, the monk rejoined his temple, built a grave for Ayotsu, and prayed for her soul every day. What happened to the innkeeper's daughter is never mentioned. The Owlman of Mornan The Owlman is the name given to a large owl-like humanoid entity, noticeably similar to the Mothman. It lives in Cornwall, England, and has been sighted several times. The first sighting took place in 1976 in the village of Mornan, the Owlman is sometimes seen as the English counterpart of the Mothman, due to the similarities between the Mothman and the Owlman. In the year of 1976, a paranormal researcher by the name of Tony Doc Shields came forward claiming that he had investigated a report of two young girls on holiday in Mornan, who saw a large winged creature hovering above the church tower on April 17, 1976. Some stories vary, but most are consistent when it comes to what the girls dubbed the creature, Owlman. On July the 3rd of the same year, 14-year-old Sally Chapman 
was camping with a friend, Barbara Perry, in woods near the church. According to her account, as she stood outside her tent, she heard a hissing sound and turned to see a figure that looked like an owl as big as a man, with pointed ears and red eyes. The girls reported that the creature flew up into the air, revealing black pincer-like claws. Sightings of this figure continued to be reported on the following day, when it was described as silvery grey, and on two occasions two years later, in June and August of 1978, all within the vicinity of the church. Because both of the 1970s sightings involved Doc Shields, an eccentric with a fondness for hoaxes, researcher Jonathan Downs acknowledges that Shields could have invented the Owlman. However, Downs claims to have interviewed a young man, whom he calls Gavin, who encountered the Owlman in 1989, independently of Shields. Gavin and his girlfriend claimed to have seen a creature about five feet tall, the legs had high ankles, and the feet were large and black, with two huge toes on the visible side. The creature was grey with brown, and the eyes definitely glowed. In 1995, a female tourist from Chicago wrote to the Western Morning News in Truro, claiming to have seen a man-bird with a ghastly face, a wide mouth, glowing eyes, pointed ears, and clawed wings. The Teki Teki The Teki Teki, or Tek Tek, is a Japanese urban legend about a girl who fell on a railway line and was cut in two. She is an onryo, or vengeful spirit, who lurks in urban areas and around train stations at night. She has no lower half, and carries a scythe, and travels on her hands while searching for victims to cut into two, mimicking her accident. The Teki Teki is universally portrayed as a girl or young woman, usually with long black hair. She is often portrayed as having claws instead of fingernails, or fingers, as these help her drag her torn body around. The legend is called Teke Teke because of the sound she makes while walking and carrying the scythe. Like most urban legends, there are so many versions of the Teke Teke story that it is impossible to know what the original story was or where it came from. Every locality has its own version with different details. In some stories, the Teke Teke was the victim of a tragic accident, in others it was suicide. In some stories, certain magic charms can protect you from its wrath. In others, nothing can protect you, and you will certainly die. In other versions, the Teki Teki's victims become Teki Teki themselves. There are many things in common with these variations, and the most common ones point to a woman from Hokkaido named Kashima Riko. In the years after World War II, an office worker in Muraran, Hokkaido, was assaulted by military personnel. She was left injured on the railway tracks and was hit by a train, which cut her body in half. The severe cold of the Hokkaido night caused her blood vessels to contract and prevent her from bleeding out quickly. Instead, she squirmed and wriggled around for help for several minutes. She was seen by an attendant. Instead of trying to help her, the station attendant just covered her with a plastic bag she died a slow, agonising death. According to legend, three days after hearing this story, you will see the ghost of a woman with no lower half. 
the ghost will try to catch you. An escape is impossible, even in a car. The ghost can crawl at a speed of up to 150 kilometers per hour. Some say that the ghost is searching for her missing legs. So, I'm sorry about telling this to you. Another version of the story suggests that the legend was designed to deter people from bullying, abusing, or assaulting others. In many variations of the legend, the Teke Teke was mistreated by others in life, and this ill treatment directly caused her death. The only reason she rose from the grave was to get revenge on others, albeit rather indiscriminately. So, the moral of the story is, be kind to others, or they may just split you in half. The Nukilave Of all the supernatural beings once believed to roam the island of Orkney in Scotland, none are as feared as the creature known as the Nukilave. The Nukilave was a creature of abject terror, and spoken of with bated breath until comparatively recent times. Although many folkloric creatures had a dualistic nature, the Nukilave was a creature of sheer evil. His sole purpose was to plague the islanders, a task from which he rarely rested. According to old Orcadians, who live in constant fear of the Nukilave, only the power of the Mother of the Sea kept the beast in check. Were it not for the fact that she restrained him in the summer, and that his tower of fresh rainwater kept him hiding in the winter, they were sure that the Nukalave would have driven mankind from the Northern Isles long ago. Despite the fact that his home was considered to be the sea, the Nukalave was known to wander freely on land. It was during these landward excursions that he was most often encountered by mortals, usually seen riding a steed as monstrous as himself. The surviving accounts vary, with some storytellers merging the two monsters so that the horse and rider become one, a vile hybrid of man and beast, that they swore was the Nukalave's true shape. From the few recorded descriptions of the Nukalave, we learn that his head was similar to that of a man, only ten times larger. He had an incredibly wide mouth that jutted out like a pig's snout, and a single red eye that burned with a red flame. Hairless, his body was also skinless, its entire surface appearing like raw and living flesh. It was said that his thick black blood could be seen coursing through his veins, as his sinewy muscles writhed from every movement he made. His long ape-like arms hung down to the ground, and from his gaping mouth spewed a foul black reek. All in all, not a pleasant sight to encounter on a lonely stretch of coastline. The Nukalave was often blamed for numerous disasters that were known to afflict the hard-working folk of Orkney. If crops were blighted by sea gust or mildew, if livestock fell over high rocks that skirt the shore, or if an epidemic raged among men or among the lower animals, the Nukalave was the cause of all. His breath was venom, falling like blight upon vegetable, and with deadly disease on animal life. Were this catalogue of misery not enough, the Nukalave was also blamed for any droughts that could seriously ruin a harvest. From this, we are left in no doubt that the old Orcadians regarded the Nukalave an incredibly powerful and dangerous creature, perhaps more powerful than the surviving accounts would indicate. How else could an earthbound entity affect the weather to such an extent? The old practice of burning gathered seaweed to make kelp 
was said to cause terrible offence to the Nukalave. The creature could not stand the smell of the pungent smoke, and it drove him into an extreme and diabolical rage. In this state, he would vent his wrath by smiting all the horses on the island of Stronze, the island where kelp was first burned in Orkney, with a deadly disease known as Mortachine. Once propagated, Mortachine would soon spread throughout the islands where kelp was burned. Nukalave's revenge was terrible and complete. The Orkney folklorist Walter Trail Dennison, who lived in Sunday in the 19th century, claimed to know of a man who had actually encountered the Nukalave and lived to tell the tale. Tamas, like his namesake Tamashanta, was out late one night. It was, though moonless, a fine starlit night. Tamas's road lay close by the seashore, and as he entered a part of the road that was hemmed in on one side by the sea, and on the other by a deep freshwater lock, he saw some huge object in front of and moving towards him. What was he to do? He was sure it was no earthly thing that was steadily coming toward him. He could not go to either side, and to turn his back to an evil thing he had heard was the most dangerous position of all. So Tammy said to himself, The Lord be aboot me, and take care of me, as I am out on no evil intent this night. Tammy was always regarded as rough and foolhardy. Anyway, he determined at the best of two evils to face the foe, and so walked resolutely yet slowly forward. He soon discovered to his horror that the gruesome creature approaching him was no other than the dreaded Nukalavi, the most cruel and malignant of all uncanny beings that troubled mankind. The lower part of this terrible monster, as seen by Tammy, was like a great horse, with flappers like fins about its legs, with a mouth as wide as a whale's, and from which breath came like steam from a brewing kettle. He had but one eye, and that eye was red as fire. On him sat, or rather seemed to grow from his back, a huge man with no legs, and arms that nearly reached the ground. His head was as big as a clue of Simmons, and this huge head kept rolling from one shoulder to the other, as if it meant to tumble off. But what to Tammy appeared most horrible of all was that the monster was skinless, this utter want of skin adding much to the terrific appearance of the creature's naked body. The whole surface of it showing only red, raw flesh, in which Tammy saw blood black as tar running through yellow veins and great white sinews, thick as horses' tethers, twisting, stretching and contracting as the monster moved. Tammy went slowly on in mortal horror, his hair on end, a cold sensation like a film of ice between his scalp and his skull, and a cold sweat bursting from every pore. But he knew it was useless to flee, and he said if he had to die, he would rather see who killed him than die with his back to the foe. In all his terror, Tammy remembered what he had heard of the Nukalavi's dislike for fresh water, and therefore took that side of the road nearest to the lock. The awful moment came when the lower head of the monster got abreast of Tammy. The mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. Tammy found its hot breath like fire on his face. The long arms were stretched out to seize the unhappy man. To avoid, if possible, the monster's clutch, Tammy swerved as near as he could to the lock. In doing so, one of his feet went into the lock, splashing up some water on the foreleg of the monster, whereat the horse gave a snort like thunder and shied over to the other side of the road. 
and Tammy felt the wind of the Nukalave's clutches as he narrowly escaped the monster's grip. Tammy saw his opportunity and ran with all his might, and saw Needy had to run, for the Nukalave had turned and was galloping after him and bellowing with a sound like the roaring of the sea. In front of Tammy lay a rivulet, through which the surplus water of the lock found its way to the sea, and Tammy knew if he could only cross the running water, he was safe, so he strained with every nerve. As he reached the near bank, another clutch was made at him by the long arms. Tammy made a desperate spring and reached the other side, leaving his bonnet in the monster's clutches. The Nukalave gave a wild and earthy yell of disappointed rage as Tammy fell senseless on the safe side of the water. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, and want to hear more about some of the monsters of folklore from around the world, let me know in the comments section. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell, so you know when the next video goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight.